Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. shared this morning during Brotherhood Breakfast, did a fantastic job just talking about their ministry there where they're they're at, and I couldn't help but notice a very proud dad sitting back there just kind of grinning uh, ear to ear as he watched watched his son share. So tonight, we're going to be having our Awana uh, celebration, end of the year celebration here in the sanctuary, and uh, Bruce and Anna will also be sharing as part of that, so I encourage you to come back out this evening. And hear us a little bit more and also celebrate a, a very successful uh, Awana year. So uh, I want to just share something with you as a church family. And that is that our uh, search for a student and discipleship pastor is going very, very well. We've conducted some interviews. And uh, the, the search team and myself feel very confident that God is, is working on bringing the right man to FBC. And uh, we, we really gr- have grilled these candidates. And we, we, I mean, we took them through a series of pretty stringent questions on doctrine, on Southern Baptist stuff, I mean, personal stuff. And we added a question on there that was, how familiar are you with Appalachian culture? I feel that's kind of relevant, right? Uh, because we're just a little bit... Different. I don't know how else to say it. We can, we can be a little ornery sometimes, but we're very hospitable. Uh, we can be clannish, uh, but we're, we're very adaptive people. And I heard a story this week about a couple of brothers from our area that were, they picked up on stuff really quick. And they were decided they needed to leave southeastern Kentucky, leave the Appalachians due to the economy and things just being tough. And they'd heard about some opportunities out west. And so they began making their way out west. And they get to Corbin. And they, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, they got real far. They, uh, they, <laughs> they get to Corbin. And they found a truck driver, okay? They, they do start heading out west, for real. But they, they found this truck driver that was willing to take them as far west as he was going. And he starts to ask these guys, you know, fellas, where are you going? Do you have some places lined up? And they said, well... We were thinking about either San Jose or San Juan. And uh, he kind of let it slide. And he said, now, fellas, you, you probably should know that out there, they don't pronounce those things that way. They, they make their J's into an H sound. So it's San Jose and San Juan. And so they kind of soaked that in for a minute. He said, well, how long do you guys think you'll be out there? And they thought, well, we were thinking maybe about Hoon or Hulai. We're very, we're very adaptive here in the Appalachians. So we've been looking at the life of King David, a man that had to adapt and overcome from his enemies, from his own mistakes and failures. And in this section of Scripture, we see that David has now accomplished what no one else has been able to accomplish. He brings a united Israel together uh, under his rule and under his leadership, and, and they have made it to the extent of their God-given borders as a unified nation for the very first time. And there's peace in Israel for the first time in 400 years under David's leadership. 
And now as we've talked about this man, King David, just remember, by no stretch of the imagination was David a perfect man or a sinless man. David sinned. David even rebelled against God openly. Not just sinning, but he was in full rebellion against God's will at times. He made mistakes. He failed. But David, as we said before, he always repented when confronted with his sin. And we see time and time again that with all his heart, I believe David loved the Lord. And so all through all these ups and downs, David learns about God's character. He learns about God's mercy, about His love. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 24, where we're going to be this morning. And we see David, once again, later in life, failing God again. And this time it was David's pride and his ambition that got the best of him. And so when everything was accomplished in David's kingdom, again, God had given them their enemies. God had given them all the land. Their borders were set. God had made Israel this wonderful nation that they were through David. David goes and orders a military census to be taken. And even his commander, Joab, realized this this isn't the right thing to do. And so because David insisted... They do this thing, and God is very, very upset. Now, we're going to talk about this because it doesn't make sense to us why this is such a big deal. But 2 Samuel 24, starting in verse 8, picks up and says this. It says, When they had gone through the whole land, they returned to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Joab gave the king the total of the registration of the troops. There were 800,000 valiant armed men from Israel and 500,000 men from Judah. Notice this, David's conscience troubled him after he had taken a census of the troops. And he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, because I've been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. When David got up in the morning, the word of the Lord had come to the prophet Gad, David's seer. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I'm offering you three choices. Choose one of them. And I will do it to you. And so Gad went to David, told him the choices, and asked him, Do you want three years of famine to come on your land, to flee from your foes three months while they pursue you, or to have a plague in your land three days? Now consider carefully what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. And David answered Gad, I have great anxiety. Please, let us fall into the Lord's Hands, because his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the appointed time, and from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men died. Then the angel extended his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, but the Lord relented concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand now. And the angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Aaronah the Jebusite. When David saw the angel striking the people, he said to the Lord, Look, I'm the one who has sinned. I am the one who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please, let your hand be against me and my father's family. And I want to add this verse in there as well. Verse 18 says, Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aaronal the Jebusite. Now we're going to bring all this together and it's going to make sense in a minute because it's, this can be a confusing passage because on the surface, again, it's hard for us to see what the big deal is in taking a military census. What's so wrong about this? I mean, 
It's something we do in our nation all the time. And it, it, honestly, it seems like a pretty good idea to see how many people you got, how many fighting men you have. But it, back in the book of Numbers, a census was to be given to prepare an army for going in and conquering the promised land. A census was not only a way to count people, but could also be used as a, a military draft or a conscription. So all these years later, the land was now at peace under David's kingship and his leadership. So there was no need to enlist more troops to go to war. And furthermore, the nation had extended its borders as far as they needed to. They didn't need to go out and conquer other nations. And so in taking this census, David was showing, one, his pride but also his ungodly ambition by placing his faith and his trust in a large standing army in a powerful nation rather than in God Himself. And he was, in a sense, glorying in his ability to wage war and to defend the nation of Israel, two things which God Himself had been doing for these people. And so while the act itself doesn't seem like that big a deal, taking this census... The motives behind it, the heart issues such as pride, such as selfishness, even a lack of faith, make it much worse than what it really was. And it's a kind of a wild story, right? David gets these, to choose the option for his, his own punishment. But at the heart of this story about David's failure, what do we see again? God's great mercy in the middle of all of it. There's four key takeaways this morning. The first one is this, is that great sin produces great shame. This is kind of a recurring theme that we see throughout Scripture. Again, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but after this happens, the Bible says that David's conscience was troubled. I think this not only shows that this truly was a big deal, but it also shows uh, how far David has come in his own spiritual walk with God, right? We look back over the course of David's life and we see many sins that seem bigger than this sin right here. And, and honestly, David doesn't feel real bad about them until somebody confronts him about them. Then he's like, oh my gosh, I've sinned and I, I turn from that. But now he feels the guilt and the shame without being prompted by someone else. And I think that's characteristic of someone who's growing in their walk with God. Now, if we look back to 2 Samuel chapter 12... You don't have to turn there, but this is a story of Nathan the prophet confronting David over his sin with Bathsheba and his murdering of her husband Uriah. And the Bible says that, that Nathan approaches him and, and tells him what he's done. And David says very plainly, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan tells uh, David, no, it's okay. The Lord has taken away your sin. Now, at this point, without any prompting from anybody else, but his own conscience and the Holy Spirit, David tells not the prophet, but the Lord himself. He goes straight to God and he says, Lord, I have sinned greatly against you. And he asked God himself to take away his guilt or to take away his sin. I think David realizes what he's done and he genuinely feels bad about that. He is shamed because of his sin. And he realizes that he has shamed himself in front of his military commander, Joab. He shamed himself in front of the nation once again. But more than that, he shamed himself in God's eyes. Great sin produces great shame. And I think that when we sin against God and when we sin against others, folks, we should feel bad about that. We should feel the shame and the guilt that comes along with it. There's a story about the author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who uh, sent 12 telegrams out 
to some of Britain's most wealthiest and most prominent men in the 19th century. And he sends out these 10 uh, anonymous telegrams to these great men in Britain. And they simply said this. They said, all is discovered. Flee at once. It was meant to be a joke. But what ended up happening is by the end of the day, all 12 of those men were either on their way out of town or on their way out of the country. And so the point is, uh, when we are afraid that our sin is going to be exposed or when that sin is exposed, we should feel the shame and the guilt that goes along with it. Now, we have to remember, again, more than being shamed in front of people is being shamed in front of the Lord. And this is where David was at. He knew that he had sinned against God. And that's why he went straight to God and said, Lord, I've sinned. I've acted foolishly against you. Now, thankfully, we also see the second thing in the middle of this mess is that God's mercies exceed man's messes. How many are thankful for that this morning? I know I am. And so by this time in his life, David has experienced on several occasions what man can do to a man. The effects of man's sinfulness, the ruthlessness that comes along with jealousy and greed and pride. What an enemy can do to somebody. But he's also experienced the vast mercy and grace of a loving God. And in a very unique situation, David is now allowed to choose... The punishment for his lapse of faith and his sin. How many would, would like to choose your own punishment when you sin against God? One honest kid in the room, man. It's not easy, though. Because notice, David's presented with three choices. The longer supposedly being less severe, the shorter being more severe. And the rabbis had this to say. They said, if I choose famine, the people will say that I chose something which will affect them and not me. For I shall be well supplied with food. If I choose war, they will say that the king is well protected. So let me choose pestilence before which all are equal. And so David chooses the shortest one. I think not just because of its duration, but because he, as he says, I'd rather be in the hands of a merciful God than in the hands of man. Famine would put the, the nation at the mercy of the merchants. War would put them at the mercy of their enemies. But the plague would put them at the mercy of God. And so David has had to be at God's mercy time and time again throughout his life. He knows he deserves God's punishment, as he has in the past, but he also knows that God is a God of mercy. And, and, and God, for whatever reason, has shown David mercy and grace time and time again. And that's just part of God's character. What did God tell Moses? We were there not so long ago. He said, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Even though he never deserved that, God was always merciful and compassionate to King David. And I think David was beginning to realize that. And we see this throughout the Psalms when David writes about God's mercy time and time again. For example, in Psalm 13, 5, David says, I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. In Psalm 23, 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In Psalm 86, 5, he says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. In Psalm 25, 6, he says, Remember, Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. And the point is this. 
is no matter what mess you may find yourself in today, no matter how great the guilt or how great the shame or even how great the sin, understand that God's mercy exceeds all of that. The Bible says our God is rich in mercy because of His great love for us. Now, here's the hard truth that goes along with this, all right? Even though God is rich in mercy... And He's rich in grace. And He'll wipe away that sin. And it's as if, in God's eyes, it's as if that sin never happened. Thank God. But we've got to understand this. This is where it gets tough. we still got to face the music. And the third point is that bad choices have big consequences. I couldn't think of a better way to say that. I mean, that's just simple. Bad choices have big consequences. David's bad choice to sin against God leads to him having to choose the consequence for that sin. It's almost like having to go out and pick your own switch for mom and dad to whip you with. How many has had to do that before? A few hands. Wow. It's never fun, is it? And so even though God was merciful with David, and even though, again, he would wipe away David's sin, he'd wipe away his guilt, in God's eyes, David would be completely forgiven. The lesson for us is that there are still always consequences for our actions and for our sins. And so God sends this plague and 70,000 people perish. These are David's sheep. These are his people that he's leading, that he's caring for. And 70,000 of them die because of David's sin. That was about 6% of his fighting force that he was glorying in. The hard truth is that our sins, even after they're forgiven, do have consequences. And God is gracious. He's merciful. But man, our sins damage relationships. Our sins can alter the course of our lives. They can affect our physical and mental health. They can affect our families. They can even affect our churches. And while all sin is equally sinful in God's eyes, the harsh reality is that it's not equal in people's eyes. And so sometimes it's not necessarily right, but sometimes the bigger the sin in people's eyes, the bigger the consequences are for your own life. And that's just the world that we live in. Uh, little Johnny was always getting into trouble, as little Johnny always did. And one day, little Johnny was standing out at the end of the driveway waiting for the school bus to come and pick him up for school, and he was suddenly overcome with the urge to go push over the outhouse. And so Johnny gives in to this urge, and he goes and he pushes the outhouse over into the weeds, and he gets on the school bus and goes to school just like nothing happened. And so little Johnny comes back home that afternoon from school and his father's waiting for him there at the end of the driveway. He says, son, this morning did you push over the outhouse? Well, little Johnny kind of straightened up. He said, yes, sir, I did. I pushed it over. And he began to take off his belt. He said, son, go ahead and bend over. I'm going to have to whip you for this. And he said, well, wait a minute, dad. Just like George Washington confessed to his father that he chopped down the cherry tree, I, I confess to you. Now, Mr. Washington did not punish little George for cut, cutting down the cherry tree. He said, that's right, son, but Mr. Washington wasn't in the cherry tree when George cut it down. <laughs> you see, when, even though we may admit our sin even though we may confess that sin to God, even though we may confess that sin to someone else and find the healing that James talks about for our hearts and for our minds, there are still consequences for those actions that will 
potentially play out for the rest of our lives. In a sense, that makes God's mercy appear even greater. Because God has every right as God to just take us and just wipe us out. To not demonstrate mercy, but He he does. And not only does He show us mercy and not give us the punishment that we deserve, but He then pours His grace out upon us and gives us so much more than we ever deserved. The final point is this this morning. Is that God's mercy is free. That it's not cheap. David cries out to God as he sees this destruction and he sees the consequences of his actions playing out. And he sees all these lives ruined and affected because of his own sin. And he asks God, God, punish me and punish my family instead of these people. But sometimes it's not possible. Once it's done, it's done and you can't take it back. And this sin just wreaks havoc in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And the Bible says, though that God did relent concerning the destruction. And he says that this angel that was doing all this was at a very specific place. What does it say? It says he was at the threshing floor of Aronal the Jebusite. Sounds like a, a random place, a random person, right? But what, what we've got to realize is this angel was literally standing at the back door to Jerusalem, getting ready to just wipe David and, and everybody out in the capital city. But more than that, the prophet comes to David and tells him, David, you need to go down to this exact spot, the very spot where the angel was, and you need to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aaron all the Jebusite. And so David goes to this place. Really, it's it's a hilltop, if you will. And he goes there and he purchases this little piece of ground from Aaron all, and he builds an altar to God on the threshing floor of Aaron all the Jebusite. And the Bible says God stops the plague and he shows mercy to David and the nation. Now, here's what I want you to understand from this part. Part of the story. Again, while God's mercy is free to us, it comes at no expense to us. God just pours it out on us time and time again, just like He did David and just like He did this rebellious people throughout the centuries. And while God, as the Bible says, is rich in mercy, it doesn't mean that because of its abundance that it's cheap or that it doesn't come at a cost, even though it costs us nothing. So David would purchase this this piece of ground and he would build this altar. And what we've got to understand about this particular piece of ground that David bought is that, and folks, this is why we're going through the Word together. This is why you've got to read it and study it and figure out what all these places are about. They're not in there out of coincidence. It all ties together. This particular piece of ground, this threshing floor of Aronal the Jebusite, some random person it's saying, it's actually the tip top of what we've called Mount Moriah. It's the tip top of the place where years before David and even before Moses, that Abraham led his son Isaac up on top of this mountain on what would become the threshing floor of Aaron all the Jebusite. And he built an altar to the Lord and he laid his son on that altar as a sacrifice to God. And we went through this story not too long ago, right? And God in His mercy and in His grace provided a sacrificial lamb to take Isaac's place on that altar. And then now, years later, we see David buying this piece of ground back 
to build an altar to the Lord because of his sin. And what we'll read about a little bit later on is how David's son Solomon would come and he'd build the temple in Jerusalem on this spot. And countless animals would shed their blood for the sins of the people throughout all the years. And eventually it's the same place where Jesus himself would stand and would teach about God's coming kingdom. And then then when he died on the cross, this is the spot where the, the veil of the temple was torn in two, showing that what Christ had done in God's mercy would be enough to allow us to be forgiven for all of our sins. You cannot make up all the details that are in your Bible that all tell about our sinfulness, God's graciousness, and His faithfulness to provide for us a Savior to take away our sins. His mercy is free. But it's not cheap. It costs Christ everything to give us what we have. And this morning, maybe you're in need of that mercy. Maybe you're feeling the guilt and the shame that David felt. Maybe your conscience is bothering you. If so, listen, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, listen up. You need to get back on track. There's some things that are off. Maybe this morning you're, you're experiencing the consequences of your sinful choices and that's all piling up on you. And you don't just need God's mercy, but you need God's grace in your life to help you navigate that and work through all of that and move forward through it. And I want you to know this this morning. This is where we'll leave. Is that no matter your situation, know that just as David said, God's mercies are great. They're greater than anything you'll ever experience. And they're also free for you this morning. You stand together as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And we we read your word and we're studying it. God, we're trying to be so faithful with your word as a church. It's so easy to skip through these stories like this that they're hard to understand. We, We can't make application or sense out of them. But God, throughout every single detail, we see the scarlet thread of redemption from Genesis to Revelation as you have worked from eternity past, Lord, to provide us a means of salvation. And God, this morning, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins that we could be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that you give us so freely when we don't deserve it. And God, this morning, if there's someone that's been wrestling with the weight of their sin, if their conscience has been bothering them, God, if they just need prayer this morning, God, I pray that you give them the courage to take that step closer to you. God, we thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if there's a decision that you need to make, whether it be salvation or if you need to follow Miss Shelby's example, and get into the waters of baptism. Why don't you come and share that with us this morning? Or if you just need to come to the altar and pray, it's... Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at BarbervilleFBC or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.